Pray with me. Father, we're thankful this morning. Thankful to be in Your house. Thankful that You're here in our midst, Lord, gathered with us. We thank You that we have You. We thank You that we have one another. Lord, we thank You that You've given us um, each uh, enough. Um, you've blessed us uh, with riches in Christ and You've given us gifts and talents to, to support one another, to, to bear one another up, and to lead one another on. Lord, I thank You for the friendship in this room. I thank You for the faithfulness in this room. Thank You for the giving in this room. Lord, I just thank You for the love in this room that these people have for me, for one another, for You, Lord. Um, it's encouraging. Thank You for the grace that is that. And um, Lord, we just thank You that we can call upon Your name and that You hear us. Because of Jesus, Lord, we, we can come into Your presence boldly. We can make supplications and intercessions, Lord. We can make requests. and We can just worship You rightly, Lord, because of Jesus. And we thank You, Lord Jesus, for Your sacrifice on the cross. We thank You for Your blood that cleanses us of all sin. We thank You for sending us the Spirit. We thank You, Holy Spirit, for leading us and guiding us and correcting us. We thank You for Your promises that are yes and amen. We thank You for the hope that we have, Lord, just to keep marching, and one day we'll, we'll finish the race and we'll be with You forever. I said that You would just be with me now. Help me to speak clearly, Lord. I pray that uh, Your truth would be uh, proclaimed. I pray that You would... Uh, that you would just preach to my own heart. And pray that you would uh, encourage us all, teach us all, build us up this morning, Lord. We just love you and we're here to worship you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. <clears throat> this morning we're going to be in uh, Matthew 9, 14 through 17. Um, and Pastor Chad and, and Jess are on like a little last, uh, last hoorah before the third one comes along. And, uh, since he's not here, I did my best to make him present with you. I wore my sweater vest, you know, just kind of channel my inner Chad. Well, that's not really why I did that, but it hit me when I got here, and I was like, well, that works, you know. But, and um, as, as Rebecca said, um, Dave fell yesterday and uh, is in a lot of pain, so be praying for him and, um, and Alicia as well. They had to go to the emergency room last night. She, she thought she was having some contractions and some other things, so be praying for them. But um, Matthew 9, 14 through 17, let's go ahead and read the word. It says, Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. For the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. I hear it all the time, and I see memes and, and whatnot on Facebook talking about how confusing it is uh, to live in North Alabama in the winter. Uh, you, you never know what to wear or what the weather is going to be like. Um, I was at Lowe's on uh, Thursday, I think it was, and I see this guy in shorts and flip-flops. And, you know, it's February 5th or 6th, 
I'm wearing a short sleeve shirt myself. And then Friday morning, I'm looking out the window in my office drinking my coffee and it's snowing. I'm like, man, I don't know where I'm at or what to do, you know? And uh, I think it was, it was either Thursday or Friday, I heard somebody say something and I thought it was funny. Uh, they were like, the weatherman is the only person who can be wrong 90% of the time at his job and still get a paycheck, right? So it, it, it's funny. Ooh, that's that's cold for beach weather. <laughs> I, it's still the beach though, so I think it it could work for me. I love the beach, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we, we've got to cut the weatherman some slack, right? Because I I imagine it's it's pretty tough sledding. No no pun intended. Uh, to 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 know a little bit about something, and and. and and get it, and have no no ultimate control over it, and, and get those predictions right. You just basically convey the information as you get it, right? So, said it was going to snow, it didn't. Sorry, guys, school is canceled. Enjoy the day off. Or, hey, it's going to be sunny weather. Go have a picnic, and it pours on you. Like, we, you know, what are you going to do? Show some grace, I suppose. But um, you know, we can we can wake up, and you know, my wife asked me, what, "What's the weather like today?" I'm like, "I don't know. Go step outside." You know, it's, it's light jacket or put your cheek up to the window. You know, it's kind of chilly out there. So, you you know, you can figure it out yourself. But um, I know we didn't come this morning to decide whether today warrants a, a cotton button-up or a, a sweater. So, um, now when it comes to navigating the chief issues in life, uh, we should look to the one that not only created those seasons, but he orchestrates and directs them. Every passing cloud in the sky, every cool, sweet-smelling breeze that blows over flowers in the spring, every summer day that bleeds on into fall, and, and those nice, cool fall days that just smell, there's something about them. They, they eventually turn into cold, bitter winter, you know? And um, they're all driven by God. When you're on the beach and, and you feel those, those rays of sun hitting your face, getting in all your vitamins, and, and you can hear the, the waves breaking, not, not a single one of them comes up onto the sand and goes back into the sea without God hovering over it. Nothing, nothing, including the weather, is outside of God's control. And I really want us to, to, to grasp onto that. So every, every, every droplet of water that, that hits your, your leaky roof, I went, I went, we we're trying to sell our house. I went up to the attic the other day and it's like, oh, what do you know? Uh, a drip, you know? Every, every water droplet is, is only falling as God releases it from his hand, right? So just as God commands the natural world around us to behave as he wishes it to, whether or otherwise, so he commands those spiritual seasons that do usually involve and affect daily happenings in our lives. Um, they affect what we wear, where we go, what we do, how we feel. Um, but chiefly, um, they have to do with and they have an effect on, as well as the outcome of the state of our souls. They are ingredients in God's sanctification process. They will determine in the present. Um, uh, they command a certain posture from us towards Jesus, um, based on what's going on. 
and, and ultimately, they're going to, in the long term, um, determine our likeness to Him. Um, it's a refining fire, if you will. They will shape and mold us. So get this, seasons change. So look to the one who directs them and dress accordingly. And as we unpack this little passage, uh, the overarching trajectory of it, it's going to allow us to see uh, two states of the Christian life and how we as followers need to know whether we need to be feasting or fasting, how to do each one appropriately, as well as how to consider our, our brothers and sisters uh, in their own circumstances and seasons in life. So, in the passage, um, the Synoptic Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all have this account uh, coming directly after uh, Jesus calling Levi and going to Levi's house, having uh, a supper, a feast with him, uh, tax collectors and sinners there, and you know, and being challenged. And so, um, I think it's it's safe to say that this this event is probably one and the same. Um, if not, it's immediately after. It's very closely connected to, at the, at the very least. Um, so I, I, I have no problem believing that Jesus is still reclining at the table when it says that John's disciples... Um, so, so Matthew says that John's disciples came. Luke Mark says that John's disciples and the Pharisees' disciples came. And then Luke says the Pharisees... Either way, they, they came uh, to question Jesus, Right? And I believe Jesus is still sitting at the table reclining, having the meal. And um, it, it, in uh, Mark's account, when it says the Pharisees were fasting, it, it's I me, mean, it's, it's to be. So um, it, it's a present, it's a present thing. It, it's, it's now. So they were still fasting. And so at that time, they came to Jesus. And it's not like they came to him um, and they had been contemplating, you know, thoughtfully. Uh, why Jesus is doing what he's doing, you know, and they're just really trying to learn, you know, what he's teaching his disciples. They came to challenge him on his teaching, you know, as if they were going to say, hey, what's the deal here? Why aren't y'all fasting like us, you know? And so Jesus's response, it it leads us into uh, learning about that first season that we're going to talk about. We have feasting. And um, Jesus, in the parable, he refers to his own disciples as wedding guests, um, and himself being the bridegroom. Uh, the, the, uh, that's the ESV, it says wedding guests. The NASB, it has that as attendants of the bridegroom, and the King James says children of the bride chamber. Um, I, I like that one. Um, and just reading a little bit about weddings then and, and children of the bride chamber, it's, it's a more intimate space uh, during the wedding uh, celebration and ceremony. It, it, it allows me to come into a private room uh, with honored guests, if you will, with Jesus. And so you're, you're, you're more than just uh, an attendee, right? But uh, either way, wh- whether you take that to be a mere attendant, um, it, that's certainly an, un- an undeserved uh, honor, given that King Jesus is the bridegroom, right? So just to be there, is, uh, that's a blessing, right? Or to be a more honorary guest who rejoices at the nearness of the bridegroom's voice, as John the Baptist said. Um, the wedding is a joyful time. You know, I, I remember our wedding day. And um, 
it, it, it was a, a time of joy. It was a time of celebration. It was a time to eat. It was a time to drink. It was a time to have a good time. We, we danced and, and we cut up and we, we enjoyed the day and we celebrated. We made it memorable. Um, the, but those, those who weren't attentive to Jesus and who weren't sitting at His feet to hear His teaching, uh, sort of like Martha, they were busy doing whatever they think they had to do instead of being like Mary and listening to Him. Um, they, they, they were unaware of what season it actually was because they, they, they were not listening. And so they were not privy to uh, the blessing, the fruit that was uh, the feast, what it offered them, right? A time of rest, a time of relaxation, enjoyment, uh, fun. It, it was a joyful time. And, and, and this wedding is simply a mere appetizer for the coming wedding feast, the eternal one, that is to be had with the whole of Christ's followers. At this wonderful celebration and climax, we're not mere guests at a royal wedding even. No, we are the blood-bought bride of Christ. Have you, like Matthew, obeyed the call of Christ to join Him? Have you experienced the kindness of Jesus in graciously calling uh, not only unlikely but unfit and impossible followers, as Pastor Chad would say, and transforming you into a worthy son or daughter? Have you been washed in the blood of Christ? Have you been baptized in His Spirit? Have you been redeemed of all your wretched works by the perfect work of Christ on the cross? Have you been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone? Hear His call today, for He's, he's inviting you to come and feast with Him. For those of us who have tasted, who have seen, who have sat at the table with Jesus, take a moment and do it often to remember and to savor His generosity. Just, just savor what, what, a, what a season it is to be able to sit and recline and enjoy the presence of Jesus. That's a grace of God that He, he gives those times to us. Think of His patience with you, His goodness and His favor. Those who are attending the bridegroom are not given a courtesy invite. They're not filling seats. No, they're called by name. Levi, follow me. Lazarus, come out. Peter, Andrew, drop your nets and come and follow me. Hey, Chase, come. Hannah, come. It, it, it's, a, it's a personal invite. It's, it's not a, a no-name thing. Each and every one of those names is written down in the Lamb's own book, and they'll receive everlasting life. It's the most personal of invitations. Jesus calls His own. Jesus saves His own. And Jesus keeps His own. He loves His own. And Jesus cares for His own. Be joyful. Be glad. Rejoice and be free in the freedom that Christ has given you. It's a time of feasting. Don't be like the disciples of John. Notice the difference in the possession of the disciples. Luke 5 says the disciples of John, um, as well as the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours. So the, those disciples themselves say, but yours. They, they, they separate themselves and they dispossess themselves from Jesus. Hey, we're disciples of John. We're disciples of the Pharisees, but your disciples, 
right? So they, they exclude themselves from that feast. The, the Pharisees doing that, it doesn't surprise me much, right? But the disciples of John, it, it, it does. Because it, it's not as if they hadn't heard of who Jesus was. John knew well who Jesus was. John was the forerunner. He proclaimed and confessed Jesus as the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. As the bridegroom, who he stood and looked on with joy. One who he was unworthy to bend over and untie his sandals. John knew. In John's account of the gospel in chapter 1, it tells us that John was proclaiming Christ and two of his own disciples heard him and left and went and followed Jesus. So John was obviously preaching Christ. Whoever these followers were that were John's disciples, they weren't feasting because they were ensnared to a religious rigidness that Jesus did not cast on them. Be careful of what you bind yourself to. Be careful not to bind yourself to something that God has not bound you to. Be careful not to let anyone else bind you something to what God has not bound you to. There is freedom in Christ. And Jesus' response, it, it, it's a really gracious response. Actually, he doesn't, he doesn't cut down John's disciples. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't deal with them harshly as he does oftentimes with the Pharisees. Um, he simply answers them um, in a matter-of-fact sort of way, and really I think it's gracious. But at the same time, as he gives an explanation of why his disciples are feasting and not fasting, He's giving a defense of them. He's defending his own disciples. And that, that's powerful for me. Don't miss that. Jesus is a defender of his disciples, of his followers. And if we will live our lives learning and following Jesus together, we can rest assured that whenever the powers or principalities and foes and evildoers and those who would tear us down for partaking in freedoms that are ours from God or, or just the enjoyment that we have uh, of God's grace in our lives, Jesus will defend us. We don't need any other defense. And whether it be judged in this life now or in the one to come, um, you can rest assured that Jesus, like a mighty lion, will defend you and devour all who come against you. Just ask sin and death. Just meditate on God's Word and let it govern your days. Let it govern your seasons. Let it govern your ceremonies. Let it govern what you do, what you abstain from, what you partake in. Be informed by God. Be careful who you follow. That made all the difference here. These men were following John, so they were doing what John did or what John thought. These other men were Pharisees and following the Pharisees, so they did what the Pharisees said was important. And these others who were sitting and enjoying themselves were following Jesus. So just know who it is that you're following. But I don't, Jesus isn't against fasting. He doesn't condemn uh, the disciples of John for questioning him for, about their fasting, um, as if fasting was unnecessary or unfruitful. Um, it's neither of those. Jesus actually says that there will come a time when he goes away, and then they will fast. Because seasons change, right? 
and then it would certainly be uh, an appropriate time to fast. So with Jesus we fast, and for Jesus, I mean with Jesus we feast, I'm sorry, and for Jesus we fast. Does that make sense? With Jesus, in His presence, we feast. It is a time to rejoice and be glad in His presence. And for Jesus, we desire it, we want it. Please come, be near me, we fast. Um, I preached a few months ago in uh, Matthew 6, um, and it had a great deal to do with fasting, so I, I'm not going to go into all of that again, but just uh, sort of rehash it. Uh, the fasting and the prayer being referred to um, by John's disciples and answered by Jesus, um, it, it, it wasn't one of these few times, such as the Day of Atonement or these other, these other celebrations, that God had prescribed fasting. Now, this had become uh, something uh, way outside of that. Um, it, was, it was a man-made religion, to put it plainly. And the Pharisees were known to be pretty hardcore with their fasting. Uh, Luke 18, 12 says, um, you know, he fasts twice a week, right? He's beating the body to gain some favor with God, as if that were even possible. It's called asceticism. And they would, um, as, you know, a priest on in Matthew 6, they would, they would make their faces gloomy, like roll out of bed, not comb their hair, or brush their teeth, and make themselves look all tired and worn down and, and worn out just to show, show the world around them just how devoted they were. And what were they devoted to? Themselves, right? That's what they were devoted to. And, and Jesus says they have their reward. They have it in full. And it's not in heaven. But there is a godly fast, and there is a godly season of prayer, right? It's, it's a season that yearns for Jesus, if I could condense the, the, the goal of fasting and prayer, it would be to uh, deny myself of all secondary needs, even um, secondary pleasures, just to gain Christ. Just to gain Christ personally, um, to gain His wisdom, to gain His, his power, His love, His approval. It, it's, a, it's a yearning for Christ. And... Um, and a season of prayer, like I, you know, Jesus isn't saying, you know, don't don't pray now um, until you know I go away. Then you can pray. Now this, this is a a specific season of prayer. It's a it's a, a really hardcore time of prayer, right? It, it, it's a certain occasion. Um, it, it, it's unlike any other, and it, it has a, a certain quality of, of desperation to it, a fervor about it. Um, he, he, Jesus says, particularly um, right now they feast. It, it, it's not appropriate for them to mourn at the wedding, right? So it, it's a it, it's mourning. It, it's a sad time. It's a it's a desperate time. Uh, this this prayer and fasting that he's talking about. Um, uh, just to give an example of of fasting in the New Testament, um, this was mainly for, for uh, the disciples to gain wisdom from God on what to do. And it says in Acts 13, 2 and 3, it says, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So again, Jesus is not um, 
opposing um, fasting to the uh, life in the new covenant, right? It's very much a part of life in the new covenant. It's, it, it's, it's necessary at times. Jesus is making the point that there are seasons for these things. There is an appropriate time for each of them. And as followers of Jesus, there will come uh, a time, and maybe it, it is now for you uh, to fast and to pray. It may be that you're desperate for the nearness of God. Uh, you've been walking through some sort of dry season. You come to a point of desperation. Or you just cry out for God to be near. Just have this, this, ugh, this wretched feeling about yourself. You, you can't find joy in anything. You, you feel like Jesus is a million miles away. Just, it may be that, um, like these disciples in Acts, that you're looking for God's wis- wisdom um, on something. Um, it may just be that God has given you a particular season of mourning. Maybe you lost a loved one, or maybe you lost your job, or maybe you're going through uh, an accusal, or wh- whatever it might be, whatever it is. Um, God has placed something in your life, and, and it, it may not make a whole lot of sense now because it's hard to see. Uh, we, we can't know the mind of God ultimately, but it, sometimes it's hard to see that because all you can think about is the pain or the sorrow or the discomfort or, or whatever it is that's negatively affecting your day-to-day life, your relationships. Like I, I'm a person, I, I get eaten up with anxiety a lot, and uh, my wife is always like, well, what's going on? Like, I, can't, I can't explain it. And, and um, sometimes I, I don't think that God is making me anxious per se, but it's something that I just have to trust Him with and fight through. And um, I, I just, I, that's a time of fasting for me. It's a time of prayer for me to be delivered from that. You know, I, Lord, I, I don't want to be bound by that. I, I want You. Um, I thought about Psalm 102 says this, Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. For my days pass away like smoke, and my bones burn like a furnace. My heart is stuck down, struck down like grass and has withered. I forget to eat my bread. Because of my loud groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. I'm like a desert owl of the wilderness, like an owl of the waste places. I lie awake. I'm like a lonely sparrow on the housetop. All the day my enemies taunt me, and those who deride me use my name for a curse. I eat ashes like bread and mingle tears with my drink. Because of your indignation and anger, for you have taken me up and thrown me down. My days are like an evening shadow, and I wither away like grass. And then he says this, in the midst of his mourning, in the midst of his crying out for God, he says, But you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. You will arise and have pity on Zion. It is the time to favor her. The appointed time has come. Have you been in a season of mourning? And take heart, because the same Jesus that invites you to come and feast with Him is the same Jesus 
in your time of mourning, in your time of fasting. He never changes. The Holy Spirit for the believer dwells in you. Jesus residing in you. He is the Comforter. He is God in you. We fast longing for Jesus to come finally and completely restore all things. We fast and mourn when we lose loved ones. We fast in times of uncertainty and trial. We fast in times that we have given ground to the desires of our flesh and are overcome with sin. We fast when we're eaten up with anxiety, like me. Give it to the Lord. We know that spring runs in the summer, summer fades in the fall, and then fall turns into cold, bitter winter. But for the believer, you can rest on the hope that spring is coming again. New life is on its way. I had, um, I had never uh, read the Chronicles of Narnia. I still haven't read them all, but I read book two uh, with Isabella a few weeks back, and I loved it. It was great. And so I don't want to spoil anything, but this book's so old. Like If you haven't seen the movie or read it by now, I'm sorry. Uh, so I will spoil it because it's a, good, it's a good illustration. But in the book, when they go into Narnia, um, it's, it's this winter, not wonderland, but it's, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a world gripped by winter and cold, and the, the witch has a spell on it, right? And she's keeping it there. And then, uh, you know, as the book goes on, it progresses, progresses and you, you start to see the hero that's coming into the story. And um, his name's Aslan, and he very much so represents Christ. And even when, when Aslan just starts to come near, but before he's there, he, he's just on his way, um, there, there's a snow melt-off, right? It, flowers start popping up. And then ultimately, he comes and conquers uh, the evil that is there, and he restores Narnia, and it's, it's like springtime again. And, and it's, it's just a wonderful illustration, and it was, it was encouraging to me to read that with Isabella, um, because that's what Jesus is doing and will finally do. He will completely do away with the curse of sin and death. He has defeated it already, and one day He's coming back to restore all things, and we can live with Him and feast with Him forever, never to have another season of mourning again. So have hope in that. On your, on your hardest days, on, on your dark days, cloud-filled days, and you, you just can't get out from under that, that blanket that just weighs on you, just keep your eyes fixed on Jesus because if you finish the race well, you will be with Him forever, never to taste bitter sorrow again. You will enjoy Him, be with Him. Just trust Jesus. Remember that seasons don't change on their own accord, but they follow every command of their Maker. And sometimes for me, that's one of the hardest truths to um, not believe because I believe it, but to accept it. Um, when I know that God has allowed something hard to enter in my life, I'm like, why? Why are you doing this to me? Why? But I just have to trust at the end of the day that Jesus is good, and His will and His way are perfect. And he has a very specific reason for it. Suffering is not meaningless. Seasons of mourning are not just because feasting isn't fun anymore. Like, it, it, it's, it's for a particular purpose. You have to trust that Jesus loves you. Um, you're not a no-name person sitting at the wedding. You're, you're a specific person invited to feast with him. And so when he leaves for a season and, and, and you find yourself fasting and praying... 
just know that he, he's just as close as he ever was. Um, you just have to trust him in that. And Jesus follows um, that illustration of uh, being the, the bridegroom and the attendance of the bridegroom uh, at the wedding. They can't mourn there. That's not appropriate. And then, you know, gives some insight into uh, what's to come. Maybe he was specifically talking about him, you know, going to the cross, uh, spending, you know, three nights in the tomb and, and raising on the third day and um, being ascended up into heaven. And there's going to be a short season before he ascended his spirit. Maybe specifically that is what it is, but there are also just times when, when Jesus doesn't seem as near, and it is a time of mourning for us. But he follows that up with two, two more examples. And um, I read a bunch of different commentaries on these. And um, some, some, some commentaries say that these verses are non-related to the, the previous illustration that he gave. Um, not completely disconnected, but he was kind of talking about something else. I think I disagree with that. I think it's um, just as or even more personal than, than the previous illustration that he gave. Um, some commentaries, um, uh, here, let me go into it. So he compares um, uh, what he had previously, previously said to these two stories. He says that you, you don't put uh, an unshrunk patch on an old garment because um, the, the unshrunk patch, it, it, it's not ready. It hasn't undergone the change that it needs to. And so when you sew it on the garment, it's going to shrink, pull away from the old garment, tear it, and ruin it. And then he, I think he's saying the same exact thing, but he uses a different illustration. He says, you don't put new wine into an old wineskin. A new wine, as it ferments and everything, is going to build up pressure. It's going to release gases and everything. And these old wineskins can't hold up to that. And it's going to burst them. And you're going to ruin both. And I just think this is just a simple illustration and a very personal one of how Jesus knows exactly what you need and what you can handle in your life. Um, some common commentators say that this is... Um, he, he sort of alludes to, you know, the fasting, uh, the, the way of the Pharisees and all that. It, you don't put the, the new gospel uh, doctrine into that old thing. I, I think I disagree with that. Um, I, it, it, you can probably find that somewhere in there. But I, I just think it's, it's simple what Jesus is saying. I know uh, what my brittle, not, not old in age, but um, uh, frail disciples can hold. They can't take something that they're not ready for. The, the old wineskin can't receive new wine. It's going gonna, it's gonna to tear them apart, and I'm going to ruin both of them. So, so it, it's, it's simply personal. Jesus knows you as his disciple. Jesus cares for you as his disciple. And he's not going to give you something like a two-day-a-week fast or any other religious exercise that you're not ready to handle because you're just going to fall away. You're going to get burnt out. You're going, to, you're going to shag out and go follow somebody else. And there's a saying that, you know, Jesus won't give you more than you can handle. That's not my favorite saying. Um, but I think in, in some way this sort of gives credence to that. And, and it, it's not that Jesus won't give you more than you can handle, but Jesus is going to give you the right thing at the right time, I think is a better way to say it, right? So as you grow in your discipleship, as you grow in your faith, as you grow... Uh, in your walk with the Lord, Jesus is probably going to give you 
harder things to, to grow you even more when you can handle it, right? Like the word talks about you, you know, you as a babe in Christ, you drink milk. And then at some point you need to be ready to eat meat, but I can't feed my seven month old daughter a piece of steak as much as I like it. I can handle it. I can chew it. I have teeth. I have grown enough to accept those things. She can't. She still needs a bottle. She'd get some num-nums here and there, some pureed uh, sweet potatoes. Now, I, I might take a bite, you know, of her stuff, so I can handle that too, you know. But, but there, there is an appropriate time for everything. There is a, an appropriate season. And, and, and Jesus knows what those times are for you specifically. Um, one thing I was thinking about this week as I was thinking about this passage is um, when we go out to Big Spring Park uh, for evangelism, um, I think it would be unwise for us to sit up here and beat on a drum and say how every one of you needs to be out there proclaiming the gospel, right, with your own mouth. Um, you as a Christian may not be ready for that. And it's up to us to have, have the wisdom and the patience and the humility to walk with you through that, right? So if you come and, and just walk with us there, that's a win, because I, I take my daughter to the grocery store. She's not old enough to go shopping by herself, but I can, she can tag along, right? Um, in the same way, some of us in this room aren't necessarily ready for some things in the Christian life, and that's okay. That's okay. Don't let someone burden you with something that God is not burdening you with. Don't let somebody put something on you that you're not ready for. And just know and believe and trust with all of your heart that Jesus will never do that to you. Jesus loves you tenderly, faithfully, perfectly, always. And so this, this illustration uh, about the wineskins, is, is it's been encouraging to me. Um, just because, like I mentioned earlier, I've just been in this season of anxiety and, and whatnot, and what if this, and what if that, and this is too much to bear, and all this and that, but um, Jesus knows me, and Jesus loves me, and Jesus is going to lead me just as He sees fit. Yeah. And I just need to trust Him. Yeah. I just need to trust Him. And um, it, it also says that um, new wine is put into new wineskins, and so, as you grow in, in your walk with Christ, um, as you become transformed into that new wineskin, um, be ready for new wine to be put into you. Because at some point, it's probably going to come. And there's going to be some expansion. There's going to be some stretching. Uh, there's going to be some discomfort and pain even. But again, it's exactly what Christ sees fit for you. Because ultimately, everything that He's doing is for your good and for His glory. It's shaping you and transforming you into His own likeness. Sometimes it's a season of feasting that accomplishes that, right? We all need some rest and just to be with Jesus. Sometimes it's a season of fasting and mourning and prayer. It stretches us and it pushes us and it grows us. So just trust Jesus in every season of your life. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, um, I pray that you would just teach us, give us grace um, to trust you as our days um, 
change and uh, seasons change and things come along that are hard to hear, hard to accept, hard to handle. And even when we have um, good seasons, Lord, that we wouldn't um, fall into just a, a, a state of luxury and we, and we go too far on that side, but that we would just uh, be attentive to you and what you're saying. I pray that you would uh, just strengthen us as your disciples. Grow us, Lord. We thank you that you defend us. We thank you that you care for us and you love us. Pray that you would just give us rest uh, in you today, Lord. May you bless our last song and um, just bless our afternoon, Lord. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.